Book Four, Chapter Four of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Four, Chapter Four The Danger of Disguise. Edgar remained behind, almost petrified. He stood in the little building, looking after them, yet neither descending nor stirring, till one of the workmen advanced to fetch the ladder. He then hastily quitted the spot, mounted his horse, and galloped after the carriage, though without any actual design to follow it, or any formed purpose whither to go. The sight, however, of the major, pursuing the same route, made him, with deep disgust, turn about and take the shortest road to Beech Park. He hardly breathed the whole way from indignation, yet his wrath was without definition and nearly beyond comprehensibility even to himself, till suddenly recurring to the lovely smile with which Camilla had accepted the assistance of Major Sirwood, he involuntarily clasped his hands and called out, Oh, happy Major! Awakened by his ejaculation to the true state of his feelings, he started as from a sword held at his breast. Jealousy, he cried, am I reduced to so humiliating a passion? Am I capable of love without trust? Unhappy enough to cherish it with hope? No, I will not be such a slave to the delusions of inclination. I will abandon neither my honour nor my judgment to my wishes. It is not alone even her heart that can fully satisfy me. Its delicacy must be mine as well as its preference. Jealousy is a passion for which my mind is not framed, and which I must not find a torment, but an impossibility. He now began to fear he had made a choice the most injudicious, and that coquetry and caprice had only waited opportunity to take place of candour and frankness. Yet, recollecting the disclaiming speeches he had been compelled to make at Cleves, he thought, if she had heard them, she might be actuated by resentment. Even then, however, her manner of shewing it was alarming and fraught with mischief. He reflected with fresh repugnance upon the gay and dissipated society with which she was newly mixing, and which, from her extreme openness and facility, might so easily, yet so fatally, sully the fair artlessness of her mind. He then felt tempted to hint to Mr. Tyrold, who, viewing all things and all people in the best light, rarely foresaw danger, and never suspected deception, the expediency of her breaking off this intercourse till she could pursue it under the security of her mother's penetrating protection. But it occurred to him next, it was possible the Major might have pleased her. Ardent as were his own views, they had never been declared, while those of the major seemed proclaimed without reserve. He felt his face tingle at the idea, though it nearly made his heart cease to beat, and determined to satisfy his conjecture ere he took any measure for himself. 
to speak to her openly he thought the surest as well as fairest way and resolved with whatever anguish should he find the major favoured to aid her choice in his fraternal character and then travel till he should forget her in every other for this purpose it was necessary to make immediate enquiry into the situation of the major and then if she would hear him relate to her the result well assured to gather the state of her heart upon this subject by her manner of attending to the least word by which it should be introduced camilla meanwhile was somewhat comforted by the exertion she had shown and by her hopes it had struck edgar with respect the next morning sir hugh sent for her again and begged she would pass the whole day with her sister eugenia and use all her pretty ways to amuse her for she had returned home the preceding morning quite moped with melancholy and had continued pining ever since refusing to leave her room even for meals yet giving no reason for her behaviour what had come to her he could not tell but to see her so went to his heart for she had always he said till now been cheerful and even-tempered though thinking over her learning made her not much of a young person camilla flew up the stairs and found her with a look of despondence seated in a corner of her room which she had darkened by nearly shutting all the shutters she knew but too well the rude shock she had received and sought to revive her with every expression of soothing kindness but she shook her head and continued moot melancholy and wrapped in meditation more than an hour was spent thus the strict orders of sir hugh forbidding them any intrusion but when at length camilla ventured to say is it possible my dearest eugenia the passing insolence of two or three brutal wenches can affect you thus deeply she awakened from her silent trance and raising her head while something bordering upon resentment began to kindle in her breast cried spare me this question camilla and i will spare you all reproach what reproach my dear sister cried camilla amazed what reproach have i merited the reproach answered she solemnly that from me all my family merit the reproach of representing to me that thousands resembled me of assuring me i had nothing peculiar to myself though i was so unlike all my family of deluding me into utter ignorance of my unhappy defects and then casting me all unconscious and unprepared into the wide world to hear them she would now have shut herself into her book-closet but camilla forcing her way and almost kneeling to be heard conjured her to drive such cruel ideas from her mind and treat the barbarous insults that she had suffered with the contempt they deserved camilla said she firmly i am no longer to be deceived nor trifled with i will no more expose to the light a form and face so hideous i will retire from all mankind and end my destined course in a solitude that no one shall discover camilla terrified besought her to form no such plan bewailed the unfortunate adventure of the preceding day inveighed against the inhuman women and pleaded the love of all her family with the most energetic affection those women she said calmly are not to blame they have been untutored but not false 
and they have only uttered such truths as I ought to have learned from my cradle. My own blindness has been infatuated, but it sprung from inattention and ignorance. It is now removed. Leave me, Camilla. Give notice to my uncle. He must find me some retreat. Tell all that has passed to my father. I will myself write to my mother, and, when my mind is more subdued, and when sincerely and unaffectedly I can forgive you from all my heart, I may consent to see you again. She then positively insisted upon being left. Camilla, penetrated with her undeserved yet irremediable distress, still continued at her door, supplicating for readmittance in the softest terms, but without any success, till the second dinner-bell summoned her downstairs. She then fervently called upon her sister to speak once more, and tell her what she must do, and what say. Eugenia steadily answered, "'You have already my commission. I have no change to make in it.' Unable to obtain anything further, she painfully descended, but the voice of her uncle no sooner reached her ears from the dining-parlour than— shocked to convey to him so terrible a message she again ran upstairs and casting herself against her sister's door called out eugenia i dare not obey you would you kill my poor uncle my uncle who loves us all so tenderly would you afflict would you make him unhappy no not for the universe she answered opening the door and then more gently yet not less steadfastly looking at her i know she continued you are all very good i know all was meant for the best i know i must be a monster not to love you for the very error to which i am a victim i forgive you therefore all and i blush to have felt angry but yet at the age of fifteen at the instant of entering into the world at the approach of forming a connection which oh camilla what a time what a period to discover to know that i cannot even be seen without being derided and offended her voice faltered and running to the window curtain she entwined herself in its folds and called out oh hide me hide me from every human eye from everything that lives and breathes pursue me persecute me no longer but suffer me to abide by myself till my fortitude is better strengthened to meet my destiny the least impatience from eugenia was too rare to be opposed and camilla who in common with all her family notwithstanding her extreme youth respected as much as she loved her sought only to appease her by promising compliance she gave to her therefore an unresisted though unreturned embrace and went to the dining parlour sir hugh was much disappointed to see her without her sister but she evaded any account of the commission till the meal was over and then begged to speak with him alone gently and gradually she disclosed the source of the sadness of eugenia but sir hugh heard it with a dismay that almost overwhelmed him all his contrition for the evils of which unhappily he had been the cause returned with severest force and far from opposing her scheme of retreat 
he empowered Camilla to offer her any residence she chose, and to tell her he would keep out of her sight as the cause of all her misfortunes, or give her the immediate possession and disposal of his whole estate, if that would make her better amends than to wait till his death. This message was no sooner delivered to Eugenia than, losing at once every angry impression, she hastened downstairs, and casting herself at the knees of her uncle, begged him to pardon her design, and promised never to leave him while she lived. Sir Hugh, most affectionately embracing her, said, "'You are too good, my dear, a great deal too good, to one who has used you so ill.' at the very time when you were too young to help yourself. I have not a word to offer in my own behalf, except to hope you will forgive me, for the sake of its being all done out of pure ignorance. Alas, my dearest uncle, all I owe to your intentions is the deepest gratitude, and it is yours from the bottom of my heart chance alone was my enemy, and all I have to regret is that no one was sincere enough, kind enough, considerate enough to instruct me of the extent of my misfortunes, and prepare me for the attacks to which I am liable. "'My dear girl,' said he, while tears started into his eyes, "'what you say nobody can reply to.' and I find I have been doing you one wrong after another, instead of the least good. For all this was by my own order, which it is but fair to your brothers and sisters, and father and mother, and the servants to confess. God knows I have faults enough of my own upon my head without taking another of pretending to have none." Eugenia now sought to condole him in her turn, voluntarily promising to mix with the family as usual, and only desiring to be excused from going abroad or seeing any strangers. "'My dear,' said he, "'you shall judge just what you think fit, which is the least thing I can do for you, after your being so kind as to forgive me, which I hope to do nothing in future not to deserve more, meaning always to ask my brother's advice.' which might have saved me all my worst actions, if I had done it sooner. For I've used poor Camilla no better, except not giving her the smallpox and that bad fall. But don't hate me, my dears, if you can help it, for it was none of it done for want of love, only not knowing how to shew it in the proper manner, which I hope you'll excuse for the score of my bad education. "'Oh, my uncle!' cried Camilla, throwing her arms round his neck, while Eugenia embraced his knees. "'What language is this for nieces who owe so much to your goodness, and who, next to their parents, love you more than anything upon earth?' "'You are both the best little girls in the world, my dears, and I need have nothing upon my conscience if you two pass it over, which is a great relief to me, for there's nobody else I've used so bad as you two young girls.' which God knows goes to my heart whenever I think of it. Poor little innocence! What had you ever done to provoke me? The two sisters, with the most virtuous emulation, vied with each other in demonstrative affection, till he was tolerably consoled. The rest of the day was ruffled but for one moment. 
upon sir hugh's answering to a proposition of miss margland for a party to the next middleton races that there was no refusing to let eugenia take that pleasure after her behaving so nobly her face was then again overcast with the deepest gloom and she begged not to hear of the races nor of any other place public or private for going abroad as she meant during the rest of her life immovably to remain at home he looked much concerned but assured her she should be mistress in everything camilla left them in the evening with a promise to return the next day and with every anxiety of her own lost in pity for her innocent and unfortunate sister she was soon however called back to herself when with what light yet remained she saw edgar ride up to the coach door with indefatigable pains he had devoted the day to the search of information concerning the major of mrs alberry he had learned that he was a man of fashion but small fortune and from the ensign he had gathered that even that small fortune was gone and that the estate in which it was vested had been mortgaged for three thousand pounds to pay certain debts of honour edgar had already been to the parsonage house but hearing camilla was at cleves had made a short visit and determined to walk his horse upon the road till he met the carriage of sir hugh believing he could have no better opportunity of seeing her alone yet when the coach upon his riding up to the door stopped he found himself in an embarrassment for which he was unprepared he asked how she did desired news of the health of all the family one by one and then struck by the coldness of her answers suffered the carriage to drive on confounded at so sudden a loss of all presence of mind he continued for a minute or two just where she left him and then galloped after the coach and again presented himself at its window in a voice and manner the most hurried he apologized for this second detention but i believe he said some genius of officiousness has to-day taken possession of me for i began it upon a coyote sort of enterprise and a spirit of night errantry seems willing to accompany me through it to the end he stopped but she did not speak her first sensation at his sight had been wholly indignant but when she found he had something to say which he knew not how to pronounce her curiosity was awakened and she looked earnest for an explanation i know he resumed with considerable hesitation that to give advice and to give pain is commonly the same thing i do not therefore mean i have no intention though so lately you allowed me a privilege never to be forgotten he could not get on and his embarrassment and this recollection soon robbed camilla of every angry emotion she looked down but her countenance was full of sensibility and edgar recovering his voice proceeded my quixotism i was going to say of this morning though for a person of whom i know almost nothing would urge me to every possible effort were i certain the result would give pleasure to the person for whom alone since with regard to himself i it is merely involved in expressions he knew not how to clear or to finish he was again without breath, and Camilla, raising her eyes, looked at him with astonishment. Endeavouring, then, to laugh, oh, one would think, 
cried he, this same quixotism had taken possession of my intellects, and rendered them as confused as if, instead of an agent, I were a, a principal. Still wholly in the dark as to his aim, yet satisfied by these last words, it had no reference to himself, she now lost enough of the acuteness of her curiosity to dare avow what yet remained, and begged him, without further preference, to be more explicit. Stammering, he then said that the evident admiration with which a certain gentleman was seen to sigh in her train had awakened for him an interest which had induced some inquiries into the state of his prospects and expectations. These, he continued, turn out to be, though not high, nor by any means adequate to, to, however, they are such as some previous friendly exertions with settled future economy might render more propitious, and for those previous exertions Mr. Tyrold has a claim which it would be the pride and happiness of my life to see him honor if, if, the if, almost dropped inarticulated, but he added, I shall make some further inquiries before I venture to say any more. "'For yourself, then, be they made, sir,' cried she, suddenly seizing the whole of the meeting. "'Not for me. Whoever this person may be to whom you allude, to me he is utterly indifferent.' A flash of involuntary delight beamed in the eyes of Edgar at these words. He had almost thanked her. He had almost dropped the reins of his horse to clasp his hands, but filled only with her own emotions, without watching his or waiting for any answer, she coldly bid him good-night, and called to the coachman to drive fast home. Edgar, however, was left with a sunbeam of the most lively delight. "'He is but wholly indifferent to her,' he cried. "'She is angry at my interference. She has but acted a part in the apparent preference, and for me, perhaps, acted it.' Momentary, however, was the pleasure such a thought could afford him. "'Oh, Camilla,' he cried, "'if indeed I might hope from you any partiality, why act any part at all? How plain, how easy, how direct your road to my heart, if but straightly pursued!' End of chapter 4